Before we get into episode 174, just want to give everyone a heads up that the show is marked as explicit for language and the content of this episode. So just want to give everyone a heads up to that since our show is typically not in that format. So uh, you have been warned and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Loud Pipes. Grab a beverage and join us as we talk about all things relating to motorcycles, the riding experience, and other motoring adventures. And now your host for this episode, Rich Warfield, John Maracle, and Brother Bacon. Loud Pipes, episode 174. We have a special guest in the house tonight. We're going to be talking about traveling on a budget, traveling and staying around the world for free, and all sorts of foreign travel tips. And Johnny John and I have been out for a little ride, tested out some heated gear and things like that, and Bacon is recovering from a down internet, if that's a thing. <laughs> Let's start, yes. start with my, my buddy to the east, Johnny John, Spider Silk, the riding fool. What's happening, John? Not much, man, other than we went to that barbecue place and they were closed. Yeah, that was like a want-want moment. We drove how many hours? Two and a half hours down to get barbecue, and they were not even open. You would think they would have been open, but no. And you think they'd update the website. No. But we'll drown our sorrows with a beverage. What do you have, my friend? I am drinking something different tonight. Uh-oh. Pause. Wait. I'm, I'm having some Winter Jack. Winter, oh, Winter Jack. Uh-oh. Well, let's hurry, that, let's hurry up and bring bacon? in Brother Bacon so he can get excited on a Winter Jack. <laughs> What's happening, Bacon? <laughs> oh, Bacon's doing wonderful right now. And that Winter Jack, I, I just want to know what that flavor is like. It's pretty good, Bacon. Does it have honey in it? No, it's uh, cider. Oh, it's a cider. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and, and, okay. And, hey, hey, Bacon, well, that makes sense. There is no Coke with it. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Proper. <laughs> so, Drink it right. So since I missed it, Mr. Yeah. Warfield, what are you uh, sipping on? Well, it's a repeat. I think I mentioned this before from High Wire Brewing. This is the High Pitch Mosaic IPA, hoppy and tropical. I think I've had this one before, but it's in a can. And yeah, I think I had this before. I spilled it all over myself again. <laughs> Jeez, good job, Rich. Good stuff. All right. And bacon? Oh, yeah. I know you're always beverage. having something. To drink. I missed it. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm never drinking. Yeah, okay. Uh huh. And the bear does <laughs> the shit in the woods. <laughs> Language, sir. Whoops. Well, it'll be okay. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, as for myself, since you're, since you're not bothering to ask. <laughs> I did. I he did. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Well, I am drinking a new Belgium, a Hop Avenger 7.7 in a 24-ounce can. Nice. I had one more of those left, but saving it. Oh, they are so nice. All right. Without oh, more, more stalling and, and tripping over ourselves, <laughs> let's bring in our special guest. I would like to introduce Z Traveler. She is a, a world traveler, travels on a budget, lives off of her motorcycle, and is going to enlighten us on all those topics. So, Z, welcome to Loud Pipes. 
It's really great to be on loud pipes. Do I have to talk really loud for the whole show? <laughs> really loud. You got to pull your baffle out and let it go. I don't know. I don't really think I have the lungs for this, actually. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we want to hear all about your, your world travels, um, also traveling on a budget. So Brother Bacon and company over on the Motor Nobodies, which needs to record a show one of these days, they are planning whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down. Now. Low hit. <laughs> Sorry, was that, a, was that a jab? <laughs> it's a dig. It a is dig, a dig. A dig. All right. But when they do get back to recording, they are planning a trip to Alaska. And I know Bacon wants to camp off the bike and be budget conscious and things like that. So I thought the timing of this would be good. No, no, that's definitely something that I'm somewhat experienced in and i know a few tips and tricks to help with that trip and i know alaska is going to be a fantastic trip no matter how you take it and what's the time of the year again bacon um we're looking august-ish because we want it to be warm as warm as possible mm-hmm. and um hopefully you know as little weather as possible Okay. Well, you can keep dreaming that, but Mother Nature has other plans for us bikers. Shh, always. But you know what? I, 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 I'm one of those people that I have that wishful thinking. I'll still prepare for everything, but I still have that wishful thinking. So right. before we go too far, I'll have a question that has Z. How long do you think the trip should be scheduled for, planned out from, let's say, Central Tennessee to Alaska and back? You're talking days, John? Like, yeah, okay. days. Yeah, because he's constantly say... on this. Mind, mind you, this is five. This is this is about the fifth or sixth time he's come up with this. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm to have to give my input. I wouldn't do that trip anything less than three weeks, or you're going to rush the entire time and not really get to fully experience your travels and make memories. Otherwise, because I've done trips to where I'm su- such a tight uh, time schedule that. I'm writing and writing and writing and eventually it just becomes a blur and your memories down the road become a blur if you don't get to slow down and really enjoy what you're doing. Of course, you can do it faster. I mean, I guess I could probably do that ride in like five days, but. Uh, yeah. And and actually, John, you don't want good, to. good point. We should probably back up even a little farther. Give us just a little history um, or sorry, give us a little flavor for your background in terms of, you know, what you ride, your riding style, the things that you're into. And then that'll help uh, set the stage. So I started living on my motorcycle full time August 5th of 2016. And I started on a 2010 Victory Cross Country, which is an 1800cc beast. Yeah, it is. Uh, I quickly realized it's a very bad bike to go off road because from the get go, I wanted to camp for free, which means you needed to usually go off of maintained roads and, you know, get down gravel and dirt roads in the forest. And it didn't handle it well. It was it, 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 just don't don't take it off road. It's not good. So I moved on to a Honda 500. Let's just say suspension was bad. <laughs> Lack of travel. Well, it tried to break my foot twice. <laughs> and it's heavy. It is heavy. Um, it was a bitch to to drop and pick back up. I I dropped it in sand twice in Idaho. Second time it was pure silt and it just slid when I picked it up. And I was staring at it and I'm like shit. Why would you do this to me? You want to take a nap here of all places? <sighs> but within like three minutes, a bunch of Mexicans in a truck came down the road 
they all hopped out. It took like two or three of them and me to pick it up and turn it around. And I found myself campsite and didn't drop it again. But nice. I tried to break well, my thank foot. Thank you, Mexicans. Time. Yeah. I tried to break my foot twice. Uh, those big cruisers have four boards. And if you're going off road, you like to put your feet down for balancing, you know, kicking yourself back up if you slip. And I got my foot caught between a tree root and the foreboard twice. So crunched my foot. And mm. luckily, my, sh- my boot slipped off instead of crunching my foot, but it could have broke my foot. Yeah, those things are like seven, eight hundred pounds. That's that's a beast. Yeah, they're they're huge. But I moved on down to a Honda CB500X in early 17. So I was only in the victory for August to January. I was on the, the Honda for two years when I got ran over by a car. And then now I'm on a Suzuki DR350. So when I say that I can do a long ride, it depends on the bike I'm on. My current bike I bought because it makes me go slow and it's really easy off-road. I don't have a lot of off-road skills at the moment. It's still a pretty new place for me. Mm-hmm. I've done on-road courses a couple times, a lot of pavement time, but me and off-road is still pretty new. So DR350 is a very dirt-oriented bike. So no matter how much I suck, the bike is easier to handle off-road than me sucking and being on a bike that's not designed for what I'm doing. Nice. Um, but I so, could not do Tennessee to Alaska in the DR. You put me on the Honda. Yeah. Put me on the victory. Yeah. I've done an iron, butt. I did 1,056 miles in 19 hours. So I've done the, the hard miles before. Go ahead. Big. So my question is, when did you start, uh, riding? I started at 18, but I went a few years without a bike. I've been with the bike since I was 20. So 18, eight, I'm 27, about to be 28. So almost a decade. I've been riding about a decade. Um, been living on it for three and a half years and I've owned a bike consistently for the last, oh, probably five or six years, six years, I'd say. And by living on the bike, meaning full time, like you don't, you don't have an address kind of thing or just you're constantly traveling. I don't have an address. I I don't have a home base, nowhere to return to. So each year, I usually just pick a place and work for a few months, and and then I change. I've, I've done Florida, I've done Texas, California, yep. currently in Oregon right now. Oh, it's completely roaming. Got it. Yeah, I'm. I, I call myself houseless, but I, I just, you know, I'm I'm free to, to float around as I please, and you know, everyone thinks I have all this time and you know whatever because I don't have a job most of the time. I, I don't work a lot. I don't need to to support my lifestyle, um, but I'm busy a lot. Surprisingly enough. Gotcha. So do you know, uh, have you heard of or know Scooter Tramp Scotty? Yeah, I know of him. Okay, so you haven't even met him. Uh, we spoke on the phone once. I have friends who have met him, so I've heard secondhand accounts. Um, I kind of float into a a lot of different of the subcultures of motorcycles. So I, I try to, I'm a big networker. That's what I do. As part of my job is I network, which we can talk about that mm-hmm. in a bit. What, why do you ask, Bacon? Um, my only thing is uh, with, with Scooter Tramp Scotty, um, his just a quick little backstory on him. He was a uh, roofer. And I bet, I guess it's something like now, like the past 20 years or so, he's literally been living off of his bike. So he goes down to Mexico in the winters, comes back up. He just, he just floats around. Okay. And he writes, he writes articles and stuff for, uh, like motorcycle magazines and stuff like that. 
so he's a different category than what I am. Um, so we all ride motorcycles and then you start breaking that into subcultures. I'm the world traveler subculture that likes the off-road bikes and I don't have a schedule that I keep to every year. He's part of the living on their bike rally crew, which they're at the same place pretty much the same months every year. They're always at Sturgis. They're always at Daytona. You know, they they have their places that they get to. And, and Scotty seems to be like he's kind of got his places that he hits each time. He's got his friends that he needs to see, his his girlfriends, you know. So for me, it's it's I'm somewhere different all of the time. And I, I just got back from Eastern Europe. I did two and a half months in 14 countries. So I'm very much I've explored my country. I've seen it pretty well. And it's time to see the world now. Nice. So try not to repeat all your destinations then for the most part. I try not to repeat unless I really love them. Um, also that if I travel the States for two or three years in a row, I'm going to get bored of it. And I found that the longer I'm away from home, which by home, I mean my country, mm-hmm. it's where I'm comfortable. I'm very comfortable in my, in my country, the way things work. It's in my language. If I'm gone for a while, then I, I appreciate traveling here again. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, it's not a challenge to me anymore. You know, gas is easy to find. Food's easy to find. Free camping's easy to find. The, the challenging and the exciting part for me about world traveling is that it's always challenging me to improve myself, to better myself, to you know, rise up and, and meet these struggles, like finding gas. There's a lot of places where you have to buy it out of bottles, you know, mm. gallon jugs. And that's exciting. You know, that's, I can't Google down there. You know, there's a language barrier, there's new <laughs> foods, there's just all kinds of new. And I think that's exciting and so much fun to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And I, I'm curious to hear, you know, what are some of the must haves that you keep, you know, on the bike regardless and, you know, the kind of things that you that you look for in advance and then the other things that you try to find sort of on the way. And I think that's the kind of stuff that I'm hoping will help bacon and company travel to Alaska so they can sort of prioritize, you know, here's what the bike needs to look like when we leave. These are the things we know we're going to get on the way and then start planning for all those what ifs. I think that would, that would help them out a lot. Um, don't plan for the what ifs. And don't get me wrong, I am I have a very nice kit, but everything that you can think of what if may happen right. probably won't be the ones that do happen. Right. Um just <laughs> know that every problem <laughs> <laughs> So what well, is, every problem so what you face is gonna be is gonna be um easy to overcome. You know, okay, so you ran out of gas. Right. Do you need to carry two gallons? No. Someone's gonna come by and help you if that happens. Right. Gotcha. So so what's in your pack? Like what is the you know, kind of the bag that goes with you everywhere. It's on every trip, kind of the, the minimum set, if you will. So I flew from in August 8th of this year, I flew or last year, I flew from California to Romania. Uh, I was invited to a friend's house. She has a tour company there called Romania Motorcycle Tours. And she said, you come over and I give you a bike and, you know, help me promote my business in America. I'm like, cool, this will be fun. So I go over there and that's when I found out what my base kit is for real. Cause when you fly, you can't <laughs> yeah. take a lot. <laughs> and I actually only took enough. I, I only had the top box with the BMW I used and that's it. That and the little bag for clothes. So my base kit is my quilt. It's an enlightened equipment, zero degree quilt. I have a, uh, pad for the bottom. So your, your quilt or sleeping bag is only as good as what you're going to sleep on top of. So you need to stay insulated on the bottom. Right. It's a Neo air X therm. I am a hammock camper, so those two things go into my hammock. There's a tarp that can go over that. There's a bug net that goes if it's buggy. Bug wipes, first aid kit, 
uh, you can't take tools on a plane, but I always have at least enough to change oil, fix brake pads, and you know the general amount of tools. My DR carries a lot more because it's a single cylinder 350 that's 28 years old. So I carry a little bit more tools for that than I would for a rental BMW. Right. And then just basic stuff like battery packs. Everything needs to be in a Ziploc. A microfiber towel because they pack down small. My clothes usually are synthetic blend. They dry faster. My boots, a pair of flip-flops, a hoodie, my riding gear. That's pretty much all I really need. Uh, Slap that shit into a backpack and I'm good for a while. Off you go. (laughs) Yeah. So I have to translate then, Bacon. So what's sort of the minimum pack that you guys are looking at? Obviously, the the stuff that keeps you going down the road, but how much stuff are you planning to take with you? Like camping-wise, sustaining? Well, let me, let me ask you before you answer that question. Are you going to cook when you, when you camp? And um, are you guys going to be splitting gear? Because that's going to change your gear sets quite a bit. Um, okay, so... Let's look at uh, clothes-wise. We're figuring, okay, for the most part, our moto clothes are really going to be it. For the most part, uh, maybe maybe a pair of jeans, two T-shirts, three T-shirts, you know, a couple sets of underwear, kind of stuff like that. Um, we're probably going to do, like, small cooking sets, um, easy stuff, you know, maybe a pot, maybe... I may bring like a cast, like a small cast iron skillet to, you know, do eggs and stuff like that. Um, and when I say small, I mean, small, small, it'll, it's like, like a I six have inch one right now kind of thing. Oh, not even, not even like I've got one that you can cook a single egg on currently. <laughs> like it's that small. But I think um, I see where the question's going, right? Food. Right. <laughs> right. Well, right. And you know, and that's kind of like, um, well, on our way, you know, a, you get to around like two, you get around two, three o'clock in the afternoon. How far are we along our trip? Where are we going to, you know, let's go ahead, get food, stop, or are we going to eat, like eat in someplace, you know, so that, so we're looking at our budget that way. Um, and we're still building up, mind you, this is four years down the road that we're planning on doing this. So we're still kind of trying to work that out as to how much are we going to be able to pack and keep it small? So I would say, um, X, the the cooking gear, that's personal experience, but I'll tell you why I carried cooking gear for the first two or three years that I was on my bike. And unless I stayed at one campsite for two days, more than just one night, because you spend a lot of time making camp, getting set up, sleeping, breaking camp. You very rarely want to actually break that cooking gear out because then you have to clean it too. And it's it's just much easier to carry summer sausage, cheese, which won't go bad on your bike. Those can both stay out. Nuts, you can carry fresh fruits or vegetables, some V8, beef jerky, um, granola bars. Those are all really high protein and they're great for breakfast. And if you have a mid to late like a late lunch, early dinner, it'll usually keep you through the night and keep your prices down. And there's also lots of gas station foods and dollar menu items, but it really does save you a lot of the space and the hassle of even having that crap with you. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. You, you know, pack, pack food that you don't have to cook and you can skip all that gear. Well, when you cook, I mean, okay, so you're going to take eggs. Have you ever thought about car- transporting raw eggs that haven't been cooked? You know how hard it is to keep <laughs> well, those on a bike without breaking them? 
Right, 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 right. So what I'm looking at is like um, you can go to a place where you can get like six eggs, right? So if we have six people, you grab six eggs, you're traveling them for a minimal amount of distance, hopefully. And that's your morning. So you're going to cook six eggs on a single, single egg skillet, or are you going to carry one big thing for everyone to cook in? Oh, no, no. It just, I I, I, I was looking at one. Well, I mean, I've got different sizes of skillets. So I'd have to decide at what point, what am I going to do? So I'm thinking if I wanted to do a six inch, I could do probably two, three scrambled eggs real easy in that. You know, that's half of it. So you do it twice and then done. So how many um, people are, is this trip planned with? And are you guys doing the whole trip together? There's, uh, yes, we're looking at the whole trip together. Uh, we've, we're right now we're looking at two and a half weeks, you know, we're, we'll, you know, push ourselves as much as we can for the first couple of days since we'll be as fresh as possible. Um, you know, so those will be like our big 600, maybe 700 mile days since we'll be interstate mostly anyway. So it's trying to get, <laughs> get out of the U.S. and get up into Canada. Right. Kind because we know as soon as because we know as soon as we get into like Montana, Canada areas like that, um, it's going to slow down a lot. Um, and, and, you know, you're going to have you're going to be a lot more sparse with your stores and things like that. So we're looking and we're only going as just just into Alaska. We're not like going all the way, you know, all the way over to the um, to the land bridge or anything like that. <laughs> you know, we're just looking. And how many people is at, it? Uh, right now we're looking, I think, it's like five, four, four to six, right? Five. Yeah. Four to six. Yeah. Well, what I would suggest is you guys make this a group effort you're going to save so much hassle for each person individually if you were to carry say you carried a big skillet that can cook enough for everyone if you're really set on making eggs in the morning and having someone else carry a three-person or four-person tent that two or three of you can sleep in and share or you know there's various other things like out of five riders you don't need five toolkits so four people can or three people can eliminate the toolkit and you could have two toolkits that are very extensive that would cover all of your bikes. So if you were to plan like that, you guys could really save a lot of space and a lot of weight. And always think about the fact that just because it can fit on the bike doesn't mean you want to ride your bike that loaded down. <laughs> and Underst- think about... No, no, un- understood. Completely understood. Completely understood with that. Because um, we are looking at, like, time-wise, we are getting, we are looking at getting... Uh, most of us are looking actually at getting, like, mid-sized... ADV, so like 800s, right? Seven, Talking about like V-Stroms? Uh, yes. 790? Um, yeah, yeah, 790 KTM, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So uh, like, like right now, honestly, if, if it turns out to actually be really good, um, I'm looking at like the Triumph 900. Hmm. Yeah. They'll, they're because they've cut weight since the 800, and... It's just an all, it's supposedly all around even much better than it was before. Um, but we're also like, so we only have two and a half weeks. So, so you as want a big enough we, bike that you can kill highway on, but something that you could still get off road for your camping needs. Exactly. 
The Honda CB500X is a great bike. I'm just going to toss that one in. It's highly underrated, but it's a great bike. I understand that. I'm 6'2". Okay, you don't get that. So, Tell someone else to get that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Forget that, you that's then. Exactly, that's exactly kind of my point. It's like, <laughs> like, you know, like if I were to get something like the KTM 790, something that, you know, I can still flat foot those bikes because I'm 6'2". But well, that's kind of a myth. You, know, if, um, you don't need to flat foot a bike to ride it. No, you know, you're right. I don't need to. Um, but it's it's something that's like it's a big enough bike that's easily going to carry me and my tall butt at, at a good speed and not struggle too bad at those speeds. But then also I want it to be uh, also be light enough. At least, well, quote unquote, light enough that I can at least do some light off-roading with because yeah, what are you on now uh right now i am on a 2006 dyna yeah you, so, can, you can take that off-road <laughs> yeah it, i mean honestly i really could if i you know if i upgraded the suspension properly but that's still i mean right now it's a uh, 550 pound bike well that's, that's still uh... mostly top heavy <laughs> yeah, you that, don't really even need to upgrade suspension. It's just you're going to be doing dirt and gravel roads, and most every bike can do those. That was always, that was my question too, Bacon. Is how far off road are you guys going? Are you are you Pickle going track. beyond a dirt road? Are you really going to get out into the woods? Like I just didn't know how far you guys were going to get into the dirt. So for this trip, we're not actually looking at being able to do too much. Like we'd love to be able to do a lot more. Yeah. But, you know, two and a half weeks to Alaska and back. So you're talking dirt roads. We're already, we're right. We're, we're already pushing it as it is. So, um, mainly our plan is with this is that these are going to be long-term bikes for us anyway. So we're looking at still being able to get together and do, uh, pieces of the tap, like the trans America trail yeah, and stuff like that. If you're just so, doing dirt roads, I'll follow you with the interceptor. Well, it's pretty smart to get the off-road capable or the the dual-purpose bikes because um, the roads in Canada, the highways up there, especially heading towards Alaska, are really potholed. You know, the permafrost really destroys them, and it's perpetual uh, road construction every year. But when you have that higher-sitting bike, you can take those bumps without having to worry about cracking your oil pan. You know. Oh yeah, it, yeah. It, you know, little skid plate under there, not have to th- think about it. Beautiful. You just sit higher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You get a you get a better command of the get better command and being able to view everything possible. Plus, you'll have like spoke wheels, so you could you can mend a bent wheel versus if you crack an aluminum wheel, that kind of stuff. It's pretty hard to crack yeah. an aluminum wheel, even though everyone talks about that. The Honda CB500X has aluminum. You have to be really be beaten on the bike to to crack one of those. Yeah, well, I was thinking more of the tires, too. If it's more of a sporty bike, then it's going to have very little sidewall. So, but yeah, point point taken. It takes quite a shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought I was going to be some badass off-road rider at one point in my <laughs> riding career. And I just don't have the skill. And also, since I live on my bike, and if you're doing long-term travel, you're not going to be like, yeah, let's go beat the bikes up on this trail. You're going to be like, eh, I kind of need this bike to be able to get me back home. Yeah, take it easy. Oh, wait, wait, you mean quote unquote home? Well, for me, it's I need it to get me out of the woods so I don't have to hike out. Yeah, need or to get back. Drag its stupid broken carcass out with me. Right. 
So, you know, you make different decisions when you're traveling on a bike compared to if you hauled it there on a truck and, you know, you can, you have another way to leave. It's, it's a, it's a whole different mindset. And when you're going to be on that long travel, you you don't want to be in in Montana, break your bike and then have to worry about somehow getting it back to Tennessee. Yeah. Or, you know, wherever you're at. Right. And that's kind of like one thing that like I'm looking at with the bikes I'm looking to choose because, um, you're looking at dealer networks and stuff like that. And well, let's just face it. There really aren't that many triumph dealers between here and Alaska. I mean, I may give it probably four. If that, if that it's, (laughs) you're always going to be better off with Honda, Yamaha, Suzuki, and Kawasaki. They're everywhere. In comparison to the European brands, you just need to know what you're getting into when you make that choice with your bike. You know, those are more performance machines with less dealers and more expensive and trade well, off for having a slow tractor <laughs> or a Harley. Well, we dealers have, are everywhere. Well, we did have, we, well, we did have this conversation, Rich. I know. And, and if, and if the Pan America turns out to be a good enough bike at its price point, like, and let's just go ahead and say, I'm going to go ahead and say before the prediction show. And I know I'm moving off of the uh, Motor Nobody's prediction show that we did with it. I am predicting it is going to be right around that ni- 1900, uh, 19,000 range. Base. Okay. That's way too expensive. It's a lot it's, but it's also, yeah. but it's also a 1200. So it's going to be, so it's going to be large. It's, it's definitely larger than your, you know, your mid, your middleweights, but they're looking at, uh, <laughs> They're going after the BMW R1200 GS. They're looking at going after uh, the Triumph 1200 uh, KTM 1290. Those are the well, ones that they're going that after. They think that they can compete with that market, but BMW has been doing this for decades, and they make a good machine that's worth $19,000. This is Harley's first adventure bike, and to get people to move away from brands that know what they're doing and build bikes that have been designed for this for a long time, yeah. they're going to need to make it cheaper to get people to be interested to even try them. But at nineteen, but if they actually actually hit it at nineteen, you have to realize your BMWs are starting off at twenty four. Um, your Triumphs are starting off at twenty one. The lowest one in there in the in the entire category is KTM. But what would you choose if it was a brand new Pan American to a nicely used GS twelve hundred? That's still the same price with all the the Farkles put on it because. Let's be fit. Let's face it. A lot of people buy bikes, add a lot of things to them, and then decide they don't like the bike and sell it with a lot of nice features for a very good price. You are right. You are right. But I'm also looking at the the fact that there's a Harley dealer network. So pretty much every state, every country that you go to, there's going to be a Harley dealership. So or you just buy a Honda, it. Suzuki, or Kawasaki, <laughs> or whatever that doesn't break. Well, well, KLR six fifty, baby. So, well, well, okay. So, um, looking at like the Honda, right? So the Honda has the Africa twin. I literally sat on one and I felt like it was a toy. I thought it was really? going to get, yes, hmm. it was, it, it, it felt chintzily made to me. I, maybe because of the weight of it, I don't know fully because I didn't actually ride it. It was in, it was there on the floor. <laughs> it just didn't feel like it was made for anything because I've sat on dirt bikes that I was like, yeah, this, this sucker is going to go do some stuff. Hmm. But for some reason that, I mean, it was a base model. Don't get me wrong. It was a base model. 
but for some reason it felt a lot more chintzy to me than than even uh yeah. well the triumph scrambler you know so like i'm not i can't say that i'm a professional at anything that i do but i do run some fairly large adventure traveling motorcycle groups on facebook and there's always been this big trend people start out and i always encourage take your trip on whatever bike you have eventually you'll realize you want to try something different you're never gonna stop and be happy with the bike that you have now you're probably always gonna want for the next one but most people start with cruisers you know higher end cruisers higher size cruisers and then they realize oh hey i want to go and see some of these cool things off-road or i hate pulling off like even glacier if you're in going to the sun road a lot of the pull-offs are gravel when you're on a big cruiser you don't want to get into that gravel you know sometimes it's downhill you, you don't want to slip around and so you, you miss a lot of great opportunities to stop so then you move on and they they go to the adventure style bikes and sometimes people go the 1200s 1250s or thousands they're like i'm gonna go off-road with this and then you realize it's a very heavy machine that you need to have skill to take off-road so then they drop down to the mid-range adventure bikes the the wee strom you know the little 650s yeah and they give those a try and they're like, okay, this is way more powerful, like powerful enough to get on the highway, lighter for me to handle off-road. Some people stop there, but then you also can move into the, the dual sport region where you're like yep. AR650, KLR650. Mm-hmm. And then, then you realize those are really heavy for off-road if you really want to start getting hardcore. And then you move down into the, uh, where I'm at, which is the 250, 350 range, the DRZ400, the DR350, the CRF250, the WR250. So there's this, this big progression. and I always try to tell people you don't need to drop and get the 1200 as your first off-road capable bike. You are completely correct. Um, I look at it as I'm going to, I don't believe I'll be able to do all the off-roading I want to, you know, but I mean, I'm just, I'm just facing real, real life facts. Um, Most of my trips, the time I'm able to spend on trips and stuff like that are going to be mostly on road unfortunately. Uh, and it's going to be very few trips and pretty much short, short lived trips off road. That's where I'm not. And so I'll also be able to, I'll also have to choose those kind of trips. Like I'd love to do as much of the trans America trail as possible, you know, and for that, I would love to get like a, like, you know, like a four fifty. So if I ever did I would that, love- man, I I'm, I'm psycho. So I did a, I did a 50 CC motorcycle run in Romania while I was there. And it was my favorite ride of my life. So if I ever did the tat, I want something stupid. I want to do it on like a, either I want to buy one of the Chinese monkeys here and use them <laughs> on the tat. Nice. Or I want to do something like, a, I don't know, a, a ruckus or <laughs> something totally not designed to be going down the tat. That's what I would take because I think it'd be the most fun compared to everyone that's trying to rip That'd around. That'd be hilarious like too. Two strokes and shit. Like pull, pulling up into like hilarious. a parking lot on the ruckus, just dragging all sorts of stuff off of it. <laughs> That would be great. Well, you should see the pictures of my monkey bike in Romania. Um, <laughs> I built, bought a grill and I zip tied that to the little baby rack in the back. And then I got a beer crate because like my main form of carrying stuff is a milk crate on my DR. Nice. I'm, I'm a very big milk crate nerd. I'm over here like, oh, what kind of milk crate is that? Does it have the metal on the top? Oh, that's badass. So so DR <laughs> riders, they're cut from the same cloth as KLR riders, I see. Yeah. Or I'm just, I'm a, I'm a rat bike person. Like I just, whatever I can make to put on my bike to make it work. I don't care. I I don't care what my bike looks like. And one of my deterrents for, for world travel 
is that the worse my bike looks, the less likely someone is to steal it. Yeah, that's true. But and so I, the milk crate, it actually, and this is a, weird, a stupid story. The milk crate, I couldn't find a milk crate in Romania. They don't have milk crates there, but they have beer crates. But the beer crates have dividers, mm. and you can't just take them out. They're actually, it's part of the mold. So I sat there with my crappy multi tool that I bought as soon as I could get into Romania. Which, by the way, shopping in the rest of the world is awfully hard. It is mm. so hard to find things. You can't call the stores. They don't answer phones if they even do have one. You can't look online, and they don't have supermarkets like we have, like Walmart. It took me two weeks to find a fucking pocket knife. Oh, you just going from and, store to store and, and language barrier and all that, too? Well, well, now I found out. I tried a hardware store. Couldn't even find a razor. Like It was really hard to find anything. Well, I mean, you could find a, a shitty little razor, but I wanted something that would actually hold up if I was camping and needed to cut something. Right. Come to find out, the military surplus store was where I could find it. But I had a shitty little multi-tool that I bought from one of their um, outdoor stores. And so I had the little saw on that out, and I was sawing on this beer crate, taking out these uh, dividers, <laughs> and I zip-tied that to the back of the monkey bike, and all my gear fit into it. Yeah. And then I had a trash bag to put over top. So if, if I can segue just a bit, so I think some other things that, that Bacon and crew might want to explore. So in, instead of camping and, and things like that along the way, um, Z, I know you have other options for traveling and staying on the cheap. So maybe we could enlighten them with some of those as well. So I run personally something called Bunk a Biker. Mm-hmm. I didn't found it. Uh, it was founded in 2016. Well, a little bit before that, but the Facebook groups came up around that time. And a Norwegian started it. His name's Chettle. He's a really cool dude, but he got sick and he didn't have time to start promoting Bunker Biker. So when I had my surgery last year to fix my knee after my wreck uh, in December of the year before, I was like, hey, I have time. I really love this concept. Let me build it up for you. You know, let's make this a really good community. So I took it over and we now have 1140 some odd hosts around the world. So these are people that are bikers hosting bikers those people oftentimes have camping areas or one bedroom so they're more set up for one-on-one for five i'm sure there are plenty of people that will put you up in their yard for five people and there's lots of people retired so they're they're wanting to bring the interesting travel to them meeting new people meeting family it's not about saving money it's about community and building up your faith in humanity again gotcha there's also freecampsites.net. So sometimes those aren't even just straight campsites. They have bathrooms. There's um, various other things that are on there. Uh, I, I actually stood at a private campground one time that was free, like private land that was listed on free campsites. There's um, a few apps that show with the national forests. And th- these are all in my article on ztraveler.com. It's just free moto camping. And there's some websites that show free campsites and cheaper ones with the national forests. So those, those, those are also an option. But that's the way that you'd save money. It's going to require you to carry the gear. So it's either carry the credit card or carry the gear. Or the gear, yeah. Good job. So that's um. So bacon. That's a question, I guess, for your planning. And I understand it's four years away, but you guys are set on going the camping route versus, you know, lodging. You know, be it hotels or B and Bs or even yes. staying with someone else. So you guys are dead. You guys are set on the camping side, right? We definitely want to camp as much as possible. Um, so I'm going to bring like, like personally, I plan on bringing, like I have a four person tent, but I'd rather get a smaller two person tent if possible for myself. 
Um, I have a hammock that I have. Um, and just, I have a couple options that I can do that is actually fairly small and packable. Have you ever camped off your hammock before? Um, I can sleep in some pretty odd spaces. Um, <laughs> That's a no. Well, that was I, why I, I was asking. Like that, <laughs> Hammocks are actually one of the most comfortable ways to sleep. It takes away your pressure points. And if you get into some of the do-it-yourself hammock camping groups on Facebook, there's some people who haven't owned a, a mattress in 10 years because hammocks are that much better for your body, for your back, and for everything else. What I was asking for, though, is that if you've never camped in a hammock in the elevation where it gets cold at night, mm. make sure that you, you take it seriously to, to put something warm underneath you, whether that be a pad that goes in the hammock or an underquilt. Actually, um, I actually have, and uh, both uh, John, actually all three of them, John, Rico, and Rich, have all seen, I have um, one of those, they're a sleeping bag that you that has arms and legs. So it's like a ski actually, suit. <laughs> yeah, only it's a sleeping bag. Only oh, only it's a sleeping bag. <laughs> it's a snuggie you know, with feet. It, but that's it, not going to work bad. in your hammock. I'm just going to say that now. <laughs> you okay. need to have something that's actually insulated to go underneath you. So when you compress, um, especially if you use anything down, down actually insulates because of the air and the baffles and the, right. the feathers. That's how that works. So when you compress it, it it's virtually useless. Even synthetic materials are not going to be warm enough for the air that you take underneath you through a hammock. They're just giant air conditioners underneath you. So like a pad. And if you're going to do a tent anyways, and sometimes not do a hammock, you're probably going to have a pad anyways. Just make sure and put that in the hammock. And, I, and I'm not saying okay. that you don't know this, but for people who are listening and don't know anything about hammocks, I'm just, no, no, you're I, not going to stay love, warm. I love, I, love the, I love the information. Fire. And, no, uh, there's also bug nets too. Um, I have a bug net. I very rarely use it. Most of the places that I camp, it's kind of buggy in the evenings and then it gets chilly enough at night that they fuck off. Uh, I just use bug spray and I don't even use bug spray. I use bug wipes. They're much easier to get it into those cracks in your face and your ears than spraying yourself and then, you know, tasting deep for the next two hours. Um, so there's, there's a lot of things that you can do to cut that out and always make sure that you have a decent tarp that's fairly waterproof. Cause even if you don't use it for camping, you may get a torrential downpour and get tired of getting rain done on your bike and you just want to toss it over yourself on the side of the road. <laughs> mm, good idea. Yeah. So I, I have another bacon. I have another challenge that I think you guys need to consider. So, yes. and, I, and we're going to ask uh, Z's opinion on this one. So you're traveling a long distance, you are camping off the bike, you're carrying everything with you, you know, setting up camp, breaking it down, traveling the next day. By my math, you've got to cover over 400 miles a day average. So you guys think two okay. and a half weeks is, is sufficient? Well, like I said, uh, the, like I said, the first two, maybe three days, uh, we're looking at probably about 600 miles, six, 650. You know, we'll see where we're at. So every two of those days buys you back a day. Essentially. Hopefully. Hopefully. Essentially. Right. Yeah. It usually doesn't work out to be that that easy um so what's the longest riding day you've done before my longest ride was actually what uh not this last year the year before when we uh coming back from gettysburg what was that that was uh 12 hours i don't know what the mileage was 700 
six so the hours the hours actually matters more than your mileage because whether you did 200 miles in six hours or 600 miles in right. six hours you're time. still on there for six hours <laughs> time time in the saddle well well I, I well let's just say this um i was hung over from the <laughs> night before uh, because he was <laughs> john will attest to that uh i was i was i was severely hung over not actually i was probably still halfway drunk um because I did not get to sleep until about two o'clock in the morning. And we left at what time was it, John? Six o'clock. Six, right? <laughs> yeah. So nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I had all of like maybe like maybe three hours of sleep. And um so John comes about. I pack up my I pack up my bag real quick and uh we hit the road. Get to a gas station real quick to fuel up. I slam a Gatorade, big Gatorade, not not not, not one of the small ones, a big one, <laughs> and then we hit the road. Um, so you did twelve hours off. that day. Was it just one day that you did twelve hours, or did you do multiple days of doing long days? That was one day, but that twelve hours also incurred. Um, I sat for an hour at a McDonald's. Because I noticed myself kind of starting to fall asleep on the road from having been drunk and not getting enough sleep. But I think the point is, after a 12-hour day, the next day is not going to be 12 hours. The point I was trying to make is that endurance needs to be built. So you're planning to do these big rides, and it sounds all great on paper. That's like, yeah, let's do 600 miles three days in a row. Please, please, all of you in in the ride, build yourselves up for something like that. Otherwise, your planning's going to get fucked from the get-go because you're going to be like, I'm sore and I'm tired and, I, and we're not stopping off enough to stretch like Z Traveler told us to do. We are looking, we are looking at, um, hopefully, hopefully if we get to be able to get to some more meetings, um, like for the next couple of years, uh, we want to do some longer. We, we're actually looking at doing some longer trips. We're we're actually just taking a long way as far as we can for one day out back, doing as much as we doing as many miles as possible. See, see, but I believe in you guys, and I think you should start doing one one k in a day rides. Just just go ahead and aim for the really hard and see how it goes. <laughs> uh, can you get an iron butt every day for a week? Well, well we're not we're not looking we're not looking at a thousand miles a day. Damn it, man. Well, you can do an iron butt, you know, every, I don't know, once a month during your riding season. It's going to keep your endurance up. But it's just, a lot of people plan these trips, and they, they've never done extensively long riding. It's very tiring. Even just sitting on the bike all day is tiring. And most oh, people yeah. don't take it seriously to stop. Like, I tell everyone, I don't care what you ride, stop every hour, stretch your legs, drink some water, pop a snack. I don't care if you need to. It's going to take you longer, but it's going to mean that your riding day is going to go better in the long run yeah john well you're yeah well yeah 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 that's who you need to talk to is john about that what <laughs> gas stop 130 miles let's go wait who's this that just spoke is that is that the voyeur <laughs> i think so yeah i think that's a, well, I, think, I think he just sits back there and listens to us i mean it's, <laughs> can you even call that voyeurism if he's not watching us uh, what would be an, an hey, auditory version? He doesn't let me talk anytime, so. <laughs> Adoyer? Is, is that even a word? Adoyer? Adoyer? I don't know. I'll look it up. Adoyer? Adoyer. We can make it a word. Adoyer. 
Oh yeah, I like it for him. Wire. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds kind of fancy, doesn't it? But it no, does. And like I said, I'm not saying this to be condescending in any way towards you. A lot of people who are listening to this conversation don't know these things, even if you do. Oh, for certain. And, and that and that that's that's completely that's completely true. Um, I can't I can't say that. I mean, not everybody's built the same way either. You know, um, what's let's say for John, you know, he's been doing long distance trips for what now? Three years. Yes. Is that, yeah, you've been doing long distance trips for three years now. Um, finally got your, your 1500 iron, butt. I do. Oh, you got a bun burner. Damn. I have, well, since, since, uh, getting there, I actually have one, two, two saddle sores, a bun burner. And it, the bun burner was Is that from, silver or gold? Uh, just the normal. Okay. So silver. 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 So so yeah. So I went from here on my way to Austin, Texas was my fifteen hundred. So nice. So and then um, my first iron butt we did two years ago, February, and went from here to almost Key West or to Miami. And there was 1,119 miles, and there was eight of us in a group that did it together. And, hmm. and that's, that's, that's probably more impressive is the fact that you got eight people. Yeah, eight people yeah. together to to do for that. that much of a trip. Yeah, It's actually and, harder to quit if you have a bunch of people pushing you on, but usually every person in your group adds five minutes to a gas stop. <laughs> it was That was the problem. It took us almost 22 hours. To do oh, 1119 yeah. miles, and we'd have people stop because they didn't. As you talk about riding, we had a couple of people didn't prep correctly, and we kind of looked like so I said, you know, good night, sleep, hydrate, make sure you're good. And we had a couple of people got like no two drinking hours of sleep, yeah, no drinking the drunk. night before, guys. <laughs> yeah, like we had two people not hydrate before and didn't drink enough. So every gas stop, they were taking pretty much all their clothes off, almost wanted to go to sleep, and dehydrated. Oh, man. So, so and then we found what? out later that two of them fell asleep on their bikes. Oh, shit. That's not safe. Yeah. Not so the good. funny thing about the Iron Butt, which yeah. a lot of people don't know what the Iron Butt is, it's a, yeah. they're a nonprofit that does these certificates for rides. So there's coast to coast, there's Alaska to Florida. The minimum one is a thousand miles in, in 24 hours or less, or 1600 kilometers if you're in other countries. Um, there's also a new one. And I found out about it recently called R- Ride 1K in a Day. And I found out because I have a friend who did the stampede where they build their own choppers and race them across country. Mm-hmm. And come to find out, if you're doing Iron Butt, you have to have a stock bike for the most part. You can't do a bunch of modifications and you especially can't do something homemade. So the Ride 1K in a Day is another one. And I was gonna do one this month until the weather is looking like crap um but that's also another option just you know for bragging rights yeah there is actually another one called long distance rider yeah they have a podcast too i gotta listen to it for my article which yeah so there this is how i'm on this show (laughs) yeah so they theirs though to submit the paperwork is a 35 (laughs) dollar entry fee so that's the cheapest one i think out of the three yeah, well, iron, yeah, the Ironbot one, you can submit it for free and not get anything. But then to get all the stuff is like... 50? 55, I think? Yeah, it kind of depends on what you got. So Yeah, yeah I think I got the full swag kit, and it was, I think it was 50. 
it may have it may not have been 50 but it, it's somewhere between 40 and 50 i think yeah i think the one from my base is like 2500 yeah i think for 1500 my fee was almost 60 dollars for everything so oh, so it changed with the mile that's interesting but yeah back I, to like talking yeah. about the long rider podcast the whole reason why we're even talking is because I'm working on a podcast article for my website and I had messaged your page and I was like, hey, <laughs> you're about me on your website. Doesn't really list your names and I don't want to spell them wrong. Can I can I get that? And then Rich was like, hey, this chick's kind of cool. Let's talk to her. Yeah. And that's what that's how I showed up here. So hopefully, you know, some people listen to this. And if you're a host on any of these podcasts, I've got 70 of them listed and I, I mean, I'm trying to review every one of them fairly. And not rate them. But if you're a host, um, but we will not talk to you, all of you. <laughs> <laughs> I will not join all 70 podcasts. <laughs> oh, I want to join all of them, but not in the same day because I, I realized pretty quickly that some of these podcasts have the same interview with the same person in the same month. <laughs> right. Which doesn't create new content or creates repeated stories. So I'm, I'm going to be spreading mine out. You know, I, I can talk about many different subjects and we eventually would like to talk about Europe. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are interested about what countries I wrote over there, but yeah, yeah if, no. So if any I other, can I can tell you riches. Well, I just I did want to know the differences. So I think I don't want to I don't want to say this. You know, I think traveling around in the U.S. and Canada is, is probably very similar. You have pretty much everything you need. You can stop for gas. You can stop for parts. Like you know, like like Z was saying earlier, it's, it's hard just finding a pocket knife. You know, when on your last trip, so. I'm interested in some of those differences in terms of how you get around, but also the riding itself. You know, what is the riding like? You know, what are the the customary things you do on the road? Like in our in our pre-show, we talked about the police, for example, how they don't seem to care very much about how you ride and the bikes don't seem to care as much about how the cars ride and and treat riders. So that, it's, that it's so great. Thing. The cops don't care about much over there. I was in Montenegro, one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to, and just a spectacular ride, like talking gorgeous mountains, gorgeous ocean. And then it was autumn, so everything was red and orange and yellow. And I've got these fantastic photos. And I camped that night, woke up the next day, and I and I went into Serbia. But I'm still in the canyons. I'm still in the mountains. And I'm it's, it's early in the morning, but I'm like, you know what? I need to make some distance. I got to get back through um, Sofia up to Bucharest. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to get there in the next two days. I got to push the miles and I'm, I'm kind of cruising. I'm doing 60, 65 kilometers per hour. And I think it was a 50, but I come around and I'm, you know, I'm not dragging me. I could have been going faster, but I was, I was just enjoying my ride. And I come around, there's a cop and he has a radar gun on me and he got real excited because he could tell from my sound. He's like, Oh, this, this vehicle is definitely speeding. <laughs> and he sees me and then his face just drops. <laughs> And he turns around very dejectedly and goes back to his car and sits in it for the next car to come by. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's pretty much their entire attitude about bikes. They just don't give a shit. The big thing is, is that a lot of the countries are free for the the toll roads because and this is there's only one really big reason is because the, the cameras that pick up uh, the license plates for the toll roads. Yeah. Go for the front license plate and motorcycles don't have front license plates. Huh. Uh, also they just don't really care. Like we, we can be really hard to pick up with speeds and it's where you ride, where you can fit is where you can ride over there. Like Bucharest is a very aggressive city. It's very different to the U S in the U S if a car passes a motorcycle in the same lane, the biker wants to break the window. Yeah. If a bike is illegally lane splitting and the car wants to open the road, open their door, 
because we have this shitty attitude that it's my road. Fuck you. You shouldn't get to go ahead of me. You wait in line. It's a lot of fuck you. Fuck you that we have going on here. There it's, oh, you want to go faster? Yeah, I'll move over a bit so you can you can squeeze by. It's not a big deal. Yeah, take the we link. Can share, we can share the road. You're faster, and I'm in no hurry. Yeah, and so, like, you know, if it, even if I was doing 20 kilometers over the speed limit, I'd hug my white line to the right and let a car pass in my lane so that way he wouldn't have to do a full lane change in, into the left lane, which is harder for him to do, puts him behind me longer, makes him frustrated. So you get really used to that. And also... In, in Bucharest specifically, they're they're aggressive and they're good drivers compared to like Albania where they're aggressive and bad drivers. <laughs> they don't do road rules there. Like the only thing that I ever saw that the, everyone follows is you don't run a light. No one runs lights there. But they also count down both ways. They go, oh. some of them count down green, yellow, red, red, yellow, green. Um, and they, some of them even are timed. So when they're red lights, it tells you how many seconds until it changes. So people don't run lights as much, yeah. but no one gives a shit about lines. Or turn signals, no one, no one, no one does any of those things. But because of that, drivers are always paying attention to what's happening, and they don't get complacent. So while there's a lot of near kind of things happening, and you think it's really chaotic and dangerous, people are actually paying more attention than they do here, where they just expect yeah. you to follow the rules. Yeah, I was going to ask if you find you know distracted driving is that a thing in other countries, or you, well, obviously you just said people are paying attention more, but. Um, if there were other distractions, you know, aside from cell phones and eating and things like that. Well, they play on their cell phones some, but for the most part, when they're moving, you don't see it because you need to be involved in your, in your driving, yeah. um, 100%, but at lights, you'll see it. If I saw anything that was distracting there is that people will slam on their brakes for a walker, a pedestrian, because a lot of the countries will find the shit out of you for not stopping for pedestrians and walk zones. Gotcha. So just like nosedive when, as soon as someone steps a foot out. Yeah, and if I'm like lane splitting and it's kind of backed up traffic, I've almost hit pedestrians because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that that was why the cars were stopping. I just thought it was traffic. Of course, you know it's easy enough to avoid a walker, but they don't care. Like I can park wherever I want. Um, you don't get charged for a lot of things. It's really great. Like, you know, here we have a parking crisis for motorcycles because they won't let us park on the sidewalks. They won't let us park in the the areas that aren't actually designated parking spots. For some stupid ass, because everyone can't park there, you can't park there. Well, yeah. I'm small. Let me park where I can fit. Yeah, and I think some of that is, <clears throat> I don't know, just like rule followers. Like, I just parked a bike wherever I want. It's like, if I can't park it there, someone's going to tell me. You know, if yeah, it it's, there, it's so it stupid. There. We have such anti-motorcycle culture in this country. You know, they're seen as recreational vehicles, whereas in the rest of the world, it's their only main, it's their main form of transportation for most families. Yep. You know, and we're one of the only countries in the world that doesn't have lane split, splitting or filtering as a as a uh, country-wide rule. Australia, Central America, South America, Southeast Asia, Europe, except for Germany, I think, think they allow it. UK, but the other 13 UK, countries, yeah. yeah, they all allow lane filtering besides um, Canada and the U.S. So what about, so we well, talked I think there's also a big difference, though. I think there's a big difference because when you're looking at the U.S. as a entire country, right, instead of each state as its own country, you know, well, uh, it does. I went through it, it, does it does make a bigger difference. Of, uh, yeah, because we don't do federal laws for our roads, um, but it's been proven that lane filtering is the better option for motorcycles. It decreases traffic, uh, traffic jams. It's better for the environment. It's better for a lot of things, and the rest of the world well, has proven I mean, that. And I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, I completely agree with that. 
it's just harder when uh, most of the road rules really started. And, and when you're looking at everything as a country, right? So for our driving standards to go across, even though our driving tests are not all the same. I mean, I can tell you from a fact that uh, when I grew up in Iowa, that uh, our driving tests for a car was so much was so much more strict than it is here in Tennessee, right? We did parallel parking. We did um, we did every we did every last bit that was in the book. Whereas here in Tennessee, you do four you, you do four turns and you park and they're like, okay, there you go, you can drive. But what does that have to do with lane filtering and lane splitting? Well, it comes down to rules and how people look at the rules. Um, so basically what it is, is that you're not going to have every, uh, what is it? What I'm trying to say is every, like the South, the North, um, the West, the Midwest, everybody has their own um, demeanors, I should say. Road is what I'm looking at. Yep. Definitely. Um, hell, uh, I lived in Mexico for a year. And if somebody uh, started moving over into your lane, if they're ahead of you and you didn't let them in, automatically it's your fault if there's an accident, right? You have to let them in. Mm-hmm. Courtesy, yeah. No, well, uh, it's not even it's not even courtesy. It's just if they're if if the front half of their car is ahead of you, it's just let them in. They have they have first right. They're ahead. They're just ahead of you. Right. That That's all they look at. But no they one gets offended at, at it there. It's not, oh my God, you cut me off. I'm so offended. <laughs> I'm upset. It's, it's fucking traffic. Let the car in. Right. Right. But where did, where, where did most driving start here in the U S right? So when, when, when most of the rules started coming about, they were here in the U S and people that it was pandemonium for a bit. Uh, when you had multiple, uh, uh, like at the very beginning, it was rec- purely recreational. Like you were the people with the money, so it didn't really matter, right? They didn't really have a whole lot of rules. But then when you started mass producing cars, right, and a lot more people started having cars, they started making a lot of rules, right? Let's face it, um, I've I've got a cigarette, I've got a I've got a I've got a lighter, right, that has warnings on it. They start making laws, right? Because everyone wants to start litigating things. And uh, America has been a very litig- litigious. What, what, uh, what's that word I'm looking for? Litigious. 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 <laughs> yes. A very litigious place, right? Because of so many states and stuff like that, everyone has their own ways of doing things. Uh, so rules have been a lot more strict here, unfortunately. So let me let me counter this with. So you got the very base in Moldova, a little country that I traveled in while I was over in Eastern Europe. You could have bought a driver's license off of a cop that pulled you over five years ago. They have lane filtering, lane splitting. Now let's go to the very far extreme. Um, the UK, they have more road rules than we do. You mm-hmm. have to actually go through a tiered system to get motorcycles. You start at a 250, then you can get a 600. And then maybe if you do, you know, lots and lots of testing and, and training, you can go higher. They're the most litigated, and they still have lane splitting. They do, they do, and I, you know, I, I like I said, I completely agree with lane splitting, with filtering, because let's face it, the two are different, right? They are. Let's, let's actually for the listeners. 
So lane filtering, which just passed in Utah, I'm a big advocate for this, so I, I do keep up with the information. They just passed lane filtering in Utah, which means anything from a standstill to a 35-mile-per-hour uh, crawl of traffic, motorcycles can go to the front. Compared to lane splitting, which is more of what Californians do or the rest of the world, where it doesn't matter what speed you're going, you can split between the traffic. Right, as long as you're not going faster than 5 to 10 miles faster than the rest of the traffic. The yeah, the I mean, that's kind of, a, that's yeah. kind of a, a law, but a lot of that's common sense, too. Like, if you're going in stop traffic, if you're going more than five or t- like five or seven miles per hour faster than, than the current flow of traffic, it's really hard for you to react if someone does something unpredictable. Oh, yeah. oh, for and certain, I mean, it happens. It's, it's terrifying to start lane splitting, and everyone thinks it's so dangerous when you first start. But when you get into it and realize what's going on, it it does make more sense and you get really good at reacting and, and predicting what cars are going to kind of, you know, some people just don't pay attention. So they kind of float over, but you can fit like most of the times you can always fit in the worst case scenario, your mirror hits their mirror. There's no damage. But in California though, at least they, it, it's the, it's they the rules of the road there. Yeah. So the cars know it. I, I did it when I made a trip to San Diego and it was, it was wonderful. Like I said, once you get over that initial fear of it, once you start mm-hmm. moving along through the cars and you realize everyone's giving you like a little bit more space for the most part, it's like, wow, this is how it should be. <laughs> it's great. And in Eastern Europe, they all moved over for the most part, except for that one guy. So at the borders, I went through like my passport stamped the shit out of it. I went through, I don't know, I went to 14 countries, went to a couple of them multiple times. So between 17 and 20 entries while I was traveling there. And you go to the front. As a motorcycle, you always go to the front. And even one country, they had its own specific little handicap ramp to the back end of the the guard shacks. Right. And you get to go through fast because you don't have anything to check. You're obviously not hauling a lot of stuff. You're not trying to bring anyone in. So you're usually stamped, take your helmet off, check the ID, you know, the photo to make sure that it's good. They don't even ask for a driver's license. It's just your passport and your insurance and registration for the bike. But in I was coming in from Moldova. And I cut to the front. It was also raining. So I went to the carport and it was stopped. It's a border. You never, you never know what the hell's going on. <laughs> and, you know, I started moving forward when they started making space. And this car just thought he was such badass and he, he deserved to be where I currently was sitting. And he was started pushing my bike with his bumper. I could have gotten off the bike and it would have stayed there because this asshole was trying to push me in. Yeah. For the most part, they're really nice over there. But there are a few assholes there who think that they're just king shit and i, I would have i probably would have done something stupid like busted his headlight except for i was at the border and i didn't want problems <laughs> but people all, often yeah, ask no, us n- never about, at a border never at a border crossing <laughs> no. well i was gonna ask i've had you know people ask often you know about foreign travel if you know if customs and the police and just in general are welcoming to foreigners or specifically people from the u.s you ever have any trouble with that in your travel? No, no, they're actually really nice. Um, and I always do my best to be a good example of American. I show that I'm not rude. I'm not stupid. Yeah. I try to be very respectful of their culture and their customs and their rules. But usually they're just really curious because I, I was by myself traveling, you know, just a single woman on a, on a BMW with some some gear. And most most borders didn't say much to me because a lot of them, I really like the Balkan countries. Um and the ones that are south of Romania and their English as a second language isn't as strong as English as a second language in the further ones. Okay. Like the Western ones. And English is a second language for most countries. So you usually can get by with a few words like toilet is very important to know. Don't use bathroom. <laughs> don't use restroom. 
Use toilet. <laughs> toilet. And that's, yeah, that's, well, that's the universal word, toileta. You know, they just, it sounds about the same. Gotcha. And hand gestures. You get really good with charades. Wow. I, I, I like to see, uh, I need to poop with charades. <laughs> Uh, just cross your legs. If you have to pee, you can poop too. <laughs> um, but yeah, and Google Translate is your friend. You know, sometimes if I had a waitress and I'm trying to order food and we couldn't communicate, I would just pull up their language and translate into what I needed to say and show it to them. Yeah. Most of the time, I wouldn't even try to butcher it. Yeah. I actually meant to send you a list of Romanian words over to make you guys try to pronounce them. But Oh, oh dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> you're, 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 you're being spared this time. Next time we talk. <laughs> I have, I have a hard, hard enough time with, you know, the, the, the folks I work with from India trying to pronounce names. It's like, oh, don't make me say that. Please, oh, I feel but you're so much Romanian. And I wasn't, I was there for two and a half months and I went through 14 countries. I didn't have enough time to pick up much from each country. So I just butcher everything horribly. Nice. I do love Palenka though, about the alcohol thing that you guys talk about. Yeah. My favorite alcohol is Palenka. Most Romanians, Serbians, uh, Bulgarians, they make their own homemade moonshine type stuff. It's like 57% uh, alcohol. Nice. But smooth as hell and tastes amazing. And I drank so much of it while I was in Romania. And their homemade brandies were really good for chasers too. Ah, Palenka? Palenkia? Palenka. Palenka. I'm looking. I got to see this stuff. It's great. That is a corn. You can't really buy it. it. Is it a, a corn-based? Um, I'm not sure. I know there's plum in it for sure. A lot of them use their fruits from their gardens to grow it. It's and a make fruit, it fruit brandy, bacon. Well, that okay. it's clear. It's actually clear. It, it may be corn based. I, I'm not really for sure how they make it, but I'd buy it for like five bucks a bottle on, on a stand on the side of the road and then just refill jars or water bottles with it. So if you saw a water bottle with no label mm. on the side of the uh, side of the road on a stand, it's probably fucking alcohol. <laughs> Yeah, like you're saying, it's made of locally grown fruit. Most common is plum, apricot, apple, pear, and cherry. Seems to have originated in Hungary. Yeah. That's oh, right. and then you've got uh, goulash. Oh, I ate so much goulash. <laughs> and in Romania, makes chorba, which is a soup. They make really good soups. Uh, sarmale, their typical dish. It's um, cabbage with ground meats in it and made into like a type of stew. Yeah. Ooh, they have some good food. In Bulgaria, it's called rikia. The same thing as Palenka. It's just their their local made moonshine. And like I said, people everyone makes it themselves and you just buy it privately. Nice. They do have some chain brands, but they're not nearly as good. So I was looking at the map of Romania and Bulgaria and just that whole region, and I see a lot of national parks. Is their park service similar to how it's set up in the US? Um, not really. Not really. Um okay. They do have entry fees. They do get charged. I went through one national park in North Macedonia. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's by, is it Orhai Lake? Orid. It's Orid. So Lake Orid. I camped off of that lake. Gorgeous. And uh, so I, I rode the whole mountain pass. No one was there. It's gorgeous. Fantastic riding. And I come across and I get charged the fee for the national park. Mm-hmm. So they only had that guy on that one side. I could have turned around and gone back, I guess. It was two bucks. Nice. I'm looking at this road coming through. Let's see. Where is it? The Central Balkan National Park. It looks like the tail of the dragon. That looks awesome. There is not really any straight roads in Eastern Europe. Um, Motorcycle riders are really good there. Everyone knows how to 
corner and curve and lean their bikes compared mm-hmm. to a lot of mid Midwest riders from the U S. Um, and you don't get very far, very fast. I, I, I could only get an average of 35 miles per hour anywhere in Southern Austria and Northern Italy. When I was in the Dolomites and the Alps, you, you really just can't, there's no roads that are built straight flat or even just straight. It's all curvy. It's amazing riding, even unknown roads you never heard of is better riding than some of our popular roads over here in the States. Yeah. That's part of my concern with, with the Alaska trip is, you know, making enough time and, you know, bacon, you and I, and John, we have this conversation all the time. We have a love hate relationship with the interstate because yes, it's the most efficient way to get there, but man, you really don't see much other than gas stations and, Mm -hmm. you know, road signs. My, my big no, thing exactly. when I travel and, is always add 30% to the time. Yeah. Yeah. What is, what is our rule of thumb, John? Whatever the Google map says, what do we add? I forget what we were using for calculations. What? You're talking about interstate? No, just like if we look at Google maps and it says six hours, what, what is our factor that we add for the bike? It's number of miles. So if it's my, my magical rule of thumbs rule here in the States, if we're going to put it is two hours for every hundred miles. Gotcha. And so that's, that's even pushing it. If you're in the West, that, that can still be pushing it. Cause there's a lot of curvy roads and it's hard to make time. Yeah. It's just, and that's based on interstate. I mean, it's not based on country back roads. Usually, you know, it all depends. But that two hours is kind of like, you know, gas stop, not including the gas stop. So that's like stopping for mm-hmm. gas, food, break, because you can do 100 miles, you know, average in hour and a half. Yeah. There's actually numbers out there from the Iron Butt Association that says that no matter how fast you rode your Iron Butt, the average speed is like 56 miles per hour, I think. <laughs> That's yeah, so true. even though you were going 80 miles an hour for seven, seven hours straight, it still somehow averages out as 56. Because of your stops and mm-hmm. traffic. And I do, you know, I do 30% yeah. on top of my times. So six hours would probably be eight, eight to nine hours because I like to stop and take breaks, stretch, you know, the bathrooms and the gas stops. Yeah. See different things. Yeah. It, it comes down to my I prefer just a cat. I'd, I'd prefer a catheter. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I learned recently there's there's a great stop. new invention. It's a condom catheter, and the <laughs> big time chopper racers. One of the guys used it to, to cut his time down because these guys are psycho obsessed. With... Didn't have to stop. Yeah. So yeah, there's a condom I'm... catheter if you really just don't want to stop. That and the hydration that, that... bladder, you're all set. Hey, hey, you know what? A couple of bags on your back to drink the water, and another bag on the on the side of the bike to take it. Well, they, they do, um, these guys are crazy and I'm talking like, I, I just recently started meeting some people in the circle. They'll add auxiliary tanks to their bike to extend their gas mileage. The condom catheters, you can do the hydration bladders and then just keep some snacks on you and you hardly have to stop. I can imagine that. Uh, I, I, I could act, I can actually imagine that. And you know what? The condom catheter, you could literally just have it just flow off the bike. Cause who cares? It's going to go on the just, road. Just, just run it down and put it with your, uh, uh, your bike's little drop lines. Yeah. yeah. I like the overflow hoses that come off the bottom. Man, this bike is really losing a lot of, a lot of fuel. I wonder if they have a gas. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Trust me. Trust me. No, no. It's all good. It's all good. 
Bacon, are you? I'm, I'm just relieved. I'd be like, Bacon, are you running an air conditioner? Like, just water coming out of your bike constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Is that condensation? <laughs> yes. But yeah, no. I found I found people to be very nice to Americans. They're very interested in, in what we uh, what we can say about our country. You know, we have. I live here, so I can tell you more about what's going on than what you see in the media. Just like they have really interesting history over in Eastern Europe. Yeah. And, and, and I one find thing that's I'll say is if you too. travel, if you travel outside of the states, and even in some states, uh, we have a lot of accents here. And over there, they do speak English, but they don't. They cannot understand us. We talk very fast, mm. and we have accents. So if you do start talking to people who are from other countries and traveling in other countries, make the effort to slow down and enunciate and talk, you know, look at them while you're talking and they'll really appreciate it. Yeah. Cause it's kind of rude and you don't know you're being rude. I just had to have a friend tell me that apparently. Gotcha. Hello. <laughs> I am from America. Okay. Don't treat them like they're retarded. <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> they speak two languages. So you're, you're, you're not looking very Jeez. smart there. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. That was all just that was all just for fun, though. But no, I had a great time over there. I, I got to free camp the whole way. Greece is a beautiful when it's off season. There's like no one there. That country just shuts down. But they they like bikers. We have a better reputation there. And I don't use bikers a term in America because of the association with you know one percent clubs. I usually use motorcyclist or rider. Right, right. Over there, you can say biker and it's fine because everyone sees bikes as another valid form of transportation. They don't see you as a better or a worse person for driving two wheels. Well, and, and with that, with that point, um, kind of going back a little bit to lane filtering and all that with, with here in the United States is most States don't look at it as a necessity because they look at motorcyclists as recreational. Because- I know. And I, I really want to change that, you know, start making a, a big deal, this, a big stink this year that, it's not recreational. A lot of people only well, use a motorcycle for, for transportation, and it's totally legit. That would be legit. That would be completely legit. But if you're looking over the entire United States, uh, motorcyclists, and e- even if you're daily commuters over all the way over to weekend warriors, right? Mm-hmm. You uh, Motorcyclists make up about 3%, 3 to 4%. Of what's on it's the our bad press, though. You know, there's a lot of myths going around about motorcycles that they're more expensive than cars. Yes and right, no. But every other country, how you ride. But every, but but every other country, you're you're talking those num- those percentages are a lot higher, right? Because it's not just a purely purely uh, recreational thing. Here in the United States, it is looked upon more as a recreational thing, and I think that's where I was really trying to get at earlier. Well, we have to change, it, 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 but we have to work to change the perception of people. That's the whole point is that we need to be the best people we can be when we talk to people who don't ride. And we have to start making a bit of a stink that like, hey, we get to be on the road too. We're just as legit as a car. And we need we yes. need to be fighting for our rights. We need to be involved in our local abate uh, teams. You know, like I know the, the president of the California abate. You know, you need to get involved in your, in your laws and, and stop some of these. There's a lot of really unconstitutional things happening to bikers. Like uh, oh, in, sure. in New York, they'll do bike, they'll do motorcycle stops, motorcycle only stops. Yeah, that's the, unconstitutional. The bike only road checks—that's ridiculous. Yeah, like we need to be fighting against that, and that's something that well, I think everyone who makes motorcycle content can talk about. You know, whether you're a writer 
you're a blogger, you're a video person, you're, you're a podcast. It's something that everyone, I think, should be trying to do for our community. Agree. Well, uh, one thing, um, so with uh, our old, with my other podcast, uh, The Motor Nobodies, we actually kind of highlighted on this a bit on what what's something that we could do here in the U.S. to do stuff like this. Um, and honestly, one of the things that really stuck with my, with my, in my head was, well, we take a driver's test, correct? Mm-hmm. To drive a car. Well, in order for everyone, whether or not you end up riding a motorcycle or not, shouldn't you also be able to be qualified to be on a motorcycle and understand what it's like for somebody else to be on a motorcycle or a scooter or something like that? Something that's not a full cage. I would say the written test, but not the riding test. I think, well, personally, I would love to see everyone during their learning experience of, of being on the road to be on two wheels and see what it's like to take away some of the stigma. But I'm also very anti-legislation because that means the government's getting involved yet again in our choices. Um, so that, right. that's the up and, and like down I said, here. like I said, and that, and that's my whole thing. It's like, it, it, you can decide whether or not you want to be on a motorcycle in a car, whatever, but for you to understand that there's these other people that are out there, you have to understand that these are what, this is what they've done. Right. And for everyone to understand that they've all gone through it. That's it. So add another week. Hell, hell, we only, as it is right now through the MSF, you only add on, what is it? Uh, 16, it's 20 hours. Yeah. Right? Two days. So you have, it's usually two days, half, half school, half track or half outside like, riding. Ex- Exactly. So you're not adding that much time to an actual course. So but then again, if you is, think about it, we're, we all are required to have licenses, but we have some of the worst driving yeah. education in the world. And that's coming from, I just came from countries you could buy a driver's license. They can still drive better than us. Well, and that's, I, I, I think that's more due to respect of other people than, than the actual courses themselves. We do have because a big person, problem not respecting other people in this country. Right. I, I think I, it's, it's more to respect than what you've learned um, easily, because like I said, coming from Mexico, me- driving in Mexico city where somebody can just literally veer off into your lane at, at any point, if they're ahead of you, if you do not slow down and let them in, you're at fault. If there's an accident. And, and Americans take that very offensively. Like it's a personal attack on them, which it's not. And we just have this selfish me, like I'm more important than everyone else in the, in the world. So fuck off, move out of my way. And you get a bunch of people who act like that. And that's why we have so many problems in, on our roads. Well, and we're, like I said, we're also much larger. I mean, let's look at population wise, uh, spread out. Even, even though spread out, I mean, most European countries are about the size of each of our states. Well, the 14 countries that I rode through, um, I did some sizable ones, but most of them are pretty small. I think they could all fit into probably Texas and New Mexico. <laughs> it really, I only did 10,000 uh, kilometers. I only did 6,000 miles the whole time I was in that BMW, and that was like four separate trips. Hmm. I went all the way to Austria and back, and I went all the way around the southern ones, Greece, Bulgaria, Albania, uh, Serbia, Montenegro, Macedonia, 
And then I went all the way through Hungary to Austria and Italy and came back. And it was still only 6,000 miles the whole two and a half months I was there. It's not that far spread out. Yeah. There is more people. I wonder if the, there's the, the physical size of the landmass kind of lends to the amount of bikes versus cars. I wonder if there's something mm. to that. If you look at, if you were to say a logical uh, fight for this, um, the more people there are crammed into a smaller space, the more bikes that there are, because if you do delivery services in Asia, yeah, you better be on, on two wheels because you're not going to get through traffic and you're going to be sitting there forever. Oh yeah. But then like yeah, between Asia and India, but then like, why don't between we have Asia more and bikes India, I mean, they have the most in but, New York city. Mm-hmm. Like why isn't New York city crawling with scooters and little bikes and stuff like because that? Because the weather. You're also looking. You're also going to have to look at weather. Yeah, Southeast and, Asia has nice weather most of the year. Half of it's the weather, but half of it's just our our bad rep. You know, people just don't view motorcycles as an option. Yeah, they don't think that you can live on one and not need to have a car. Oh, but what if I need to get something big home? Oh, you'll find a way. <laughs> but I don't know how we overcome it now. Like I, I'm making an effort to ride to work as much as I can. But and the days when I do. I'm often the only bike until I get to work. And then I've, there's a couple of other motorcycles there that, that ride to work, but it's just really disheartening to, to cover like 30 miles and you be the only motorcycle in sight. So, you know, I'm, I'm big on social media and I would like to start a meme. My thing that I'd like to do is start a meme thing. Just meme everyone's photos and say something, you know, get a phrase started. Like motorcycles are a valid form of transportation, not just a recreational vehicle. And start sharing that around because our big problem, you know, if I go into fa- any Facebook group, someone knows me, you know, because yeah. I post a lot on them. That's what I do. I run Minimalist Motorcycle Vagabonds. I run Bunk a Biker, two Instagrams, 20 Facebook groups, my own page, my own profile. Right? It's actually two or three pages. You know, I do a lot on there. I like to be involved in the community. I love motorcycles. I love traveling. But we we talk to ourselves. We're like we're sitting here complaining about the par- problems with our perception right. and our culture to other motorcycle riders. Right. Right. The best thing we can do it's is a motorcycle to- podcast. <laughs> exactly. But the best thing we can do, like when I'm traveling, is I try to be as polite as possible when strangers come up and talk to me to make them realize that hey, bikers aren't bad people. Let's just start with that one. And that, you know, you may have this aggressive, I want to open my door on this person passing. You say that until you say hi to me and realize that I'm a pure, I'm a person too. Like right. I'm a, I'm a living being and I'm nice and you know have empathy. We do have empathy, but you have to get past that. Yeah. So we I think we all do need to start working on trying to figure out how to get the public's eye to change for us. Whether that be motorcycle rides that we go to places that there are regular drivers, like going to car shows. I don't know. We need to try to do something though. Yeah, and I think some of it's just just sheer numbers and visibility. Like the more bikes you see, the more people will think about it. And I, I like your, I like your idea though. Just let people know that, Hey, a bike is an option, you know, go to the grocery store and pick up a few things like, Hey, I only needed eggs, milk and crackers. Like what did I need? To, why do I need to take this, you know, 400 horsepower SUV? Like I just jumped on the bike. Like I don't I get I could it. get 21 miles per gallon or I could get 50 miles per gallon. Yeah. And some days well, I do Rich, it on one wheel. Rich, what? Maybe, yeah. maybe you, maybe you can uh, answer this question. Um, I'm not certain, but can you get just a motorcycle license, or do you have to have a driver's license to get a motorcycle license? Because I think some states differ on that. As, that that is different per state. In Oklahoma, you can actually get your motorcycle and uh, motorcycle permit at 15. Yeah, as and far you can't as get I your know, car until 16. 
as far as I know, in, in Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and North Carolina, where I've had licenses, the motorcycle is an endorsement to your regular driver's license. It's not separate. Well, I think it's everywhere has to have a driver's license. Yep. You have to have a driver's license in order to get a motorcycle license. Right. See, and so that so there's another downfall. Once again, we have to go litigiously in this and say, you know what? No, you shouldn't have to have a driver's license. You should be able to get a motorcycle, motorcycle license on license. its own. We shouldn't right, just because, be an endorsement. We should be our own right. form of identification. Exactly. And that, and that, and that was kind of my whole point of, listen, if, if you're going to go through a driver's ed, driver's ed should include a motorcycle class because that way people can decide, Hey, am I, am I in a good enough position that, you know, in a good enough weather that I could depend on just a motorcycle or maybe I'm going to take the bus most of the time. And this is just going to be something I do whenever I need to. Well, like Arizona and Phoenix, you need to be able to lane split. I, I ride a single cylinder air cold motorcycle. I can't sit in traffic. And even the motorcycle cops there will wave bikes to start lane splitting when it's a hundred degrees out because you need to keep moving. Like we're going to have a heat stroke. We have the sun on us. Yeah. And it's not even legal there, but even the, the motorcycle cops are, are pushing for this. But those are the kind of places that you can ride all your Phoenix, Tucson, Florida, even the Southern, Southern Texas, all these areas you can ride all year. And yeah. What if someone just wants to ride a motorcycle? Yeah. But I'm also from a state, Oklahoma. It, it's like 40 years in the, in the back. You know, like we're we're way behind on things. I rode five years without even having my endorsement, and cops don't care. Yeah, there's a lot so of people you, that that because you hear we heard it from dealers when we started test riding bikes and stuff for the show. You know, they always ask like, "Do you have your motorcycle license?" And I'm like, "Why would I not?" And they said, "A lot of people don't that come in here to ride bikes don't even have a motorcycle license." That's one of the most frequently asked questions I get for people that I talk to that um, are who are interested in learning how to ride is, oh, do I need to have my license before I can buy the bike or do I, do I buy the bike and then take the class? Right. And I always say just most people don't even know we have safety classes and they provide you bikes and they're not unaffordable. Yep. Yep. They actually just passed. Um, there's this podcast called The Sound Rider Show. They also have a magazine. Um They've been running for 15 years. And I listened to them the other day. I just found out that in Washington, they changed their legislation where a dealer cannot sell a motorcycle to someone that doesn't have a license. They have to be delivered now. Oh, no kidding. So that's going to really hurt the sales for dealers. Huh? So, so when you, so when I get your, uh, your comprehensive list of podcasts, I am probably going to go ahead and start getting a hold of them and say, you know what, let's go ahead and start a petition to where we can federally get it to where it's not, it's its own license. That'd be like, a, definitely a good step in the, in the right direction. You know, we, it's we gotta do state. something. It's state mandated, not federal mandated for licenses. But every state, but every state, well, has no, no. State. every, no, no, it's okay. So every state has, has their own, rules for it but it's federally mandated for you to drive that you need to have a license so we need we need to we need to pressure local and federal and everything motorcycle because as it's going we're on the path to where eventually motorcycles are going to be illegalized in this country they're slowly nicking away at what we're able to do you know they just raised this year uh entry fees for motorcycles in national parks they went up five dollars why am i paying five dollars like one car can get into yellowstone for thirty five dollars 
that's five people. Why do I need to pay $35 per person to come in per bike? Yeah. Why? It's crazy. And, and also, why do I need to pay tolls? I'm not damaging roads. I don't drop a lot of fluids and I'm not heavy. The people who should be paying the tolls for sure are the, the semis. They're the ones who do the most damage to roads. But yet our toll roads charge bikes, but toll roads in the rest of the world usually let motorcycles off because we're better for the environment. We're better for our roads. Yeah. The only federal law I can find that, that gives bikes a pass on a toll road is if there's a high occupancy um, component to it, then bikes have to be free. That's the only advantage I know of. The only advantage that I know of that I really like about bikes is that we get to use the carpool lanes too. And then states that actually have carpool lanes. Yeah. yeah carpool HOV lanes. You can use them. Mm-hmm. And for no um, charge. That, Cause I use that yeah. every day. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's, and, that's, and, that's, a great and, that's and that's if it's not full of people that are, you know, single drivers in right. you using it, because let's face it, how many police forces are there to actually do anything about it? Uh, yeah. I know, California. I, know, I saw single drivers sneaking into the HOV lanes all the time. Yeah, I know. I know people that live in DC area. I know they've cops have nailed them during the. Um, oh yeah, HOV there, lane. There are police. Oh, in if you the get caught, every they'll, day. they'll find. Oh, I've heard of you, but I've heard they don't. Of it. Don't get me it. wrong. I've heard of it. Yeah. Like I said, I've heard of it, but you know what? For the for the majority of it here in Nashville, Nashville's growing so much; it's an average of a hundred people per day. That the police force, when looking at it, um, I think it's one police officer for every hundred thousand people somewhere around there. Like it's mm-hmm. bad. It's very bad. So um, when it comes down to traffic, unless you're being a complete douchebag on the road, they're really not, not doing much. Over. Right. Kind of like California is the same way. I was in the Bay Area and there's just too many people for the amount of cops and the cops are just so jaded from being public enemy number one and their benefits being cut all the time. They just don't give a shit. They really don't. But back to like what you were saying, once I finish my podcast directory and I start, you know, mailing all like I want to email ideally i'd like to sell the article to roadrunner or cycle source uh but i also want to provide it online for free on my website you know of all these podcasts that are listed and what their content's about and i want to contact every one of these shows but most of these shows are pretty active in their local communities and they can help and at each of their show mentioning hey let's start doing something for for our you know our public reputation and making things more fair for us as motorcycle riders agree agree I fully, I fully agree. And you know what? We could totally spearhead this thing. Yeah. I mean, we're covering three different metro areas. So Charlotte for me, um, Raleigh, Durham for John and Bacon's in, uh, is it Nashville? Yep. Nash- yeah. Nashville. And I, I have a friend who, who, he wrote a book. It's a really great book. And he also has a podcast under the same name and his show is called American Roadrunner. And I, I talked to him a lot. We, we were working on some projects together and he wrote a motorcycle book and he has a motorcycle podcast. But what's brilliant about what he's figured out is that most of the people who read his book don't ride. If we all broaden where we make our content for, for everyone to read, because most of his readers are just people who like to read about travel and adventure. Yeah. So we all need to open up our audiences to just not motorcycle riders to start making people realize that it's cool. It's something fun to learn about. Even if you don't do it, you don't need to, do it to understand it and it, it would bring up you know bringing more writers into 
our, you know, our activity. Cause you know, as it comes down to it, we don't have a lot of people riding anymore. Yeah. Agree. That's like I said, that's the thing that makes me sad. Commuting is just don't see many other bikes out there. Well, and that's why I said, you know, we make up maybe three to 4%. I'd like to take a moment here and thank our buddy Jed's from Jed's Moto. He is our supporter for episode 174. So thank you very much for that, Jed's. We appreciate it. And if anyone else has found some value in the show, please visit us at loudpipes.net forward slash donate. You can leave a one-time donation there, which is greatly appreciated. And any of those over $10 will receive a a pack of stickers, which I will send out to you promptly. And we also have the monthly recurring donation option there as well. And again, anyone at $5 or more on a monthly basis will be invited into our clubhouse, which is still going on on Slack. So again, uh, appreciate the support from Jed's. And if you're interested in donating as well, loudpipes.net forward slash donate. So quick uh, topic check um, for Z. Do you want to do the eight days a week or pass on that one? Well, I can give you the short is that to me, everything that you own requires maintenance and cost. Whereas I'd rather just, I would just say, give me the eight most expensive things you can buy. I'll sell them and I'll travel the road for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's probably money better well better spent than what we've been doing with it. <laughs> well, each thing is like maintenance, that. it's time, and then you have to have space to keep it. So why wouldn't yeah. I just sell all that stuff and travel the world? Yeah. I can have myself a nice little uh, hut on the beach in Mexico or Costa Rica for like 300 bucks a month with that kind of money. A lot of margaritas. Well, technically, what, um, what a new bike is. Technically, on mine, I had a big uh, hovercraft that I could I could hold everything and travel wherever I wanted to and keep everything with me and do whatever I wanted because we were saying oh, so we're money was not up now. Money was well. What, the whole thing was that money was not was, was not an issue. <laughs> yeah, but that technology doesn't exist. So if we're gonna talk that, I want a motorcycle that's also amphibious and can fly. <laughs> That's my dream bike right there is one that can ride, fly, and <laughs> the, the fly Man, they, amphibious bike. Didn't they make they get made one? They, this they is just dread. I saw a Judge video. Right actually, the wheels separate out and make the hub to make it so it can fly. Oh well, they made an amphibious bike too, which is actually legit. <laughs> it's like a sea well, with wheels. Wasn't that a four wheeler? Wasn't that a four wheeler? No, no, it's actually a two wheeler. I forget the name of it, but you gotta look it up. It looks so stupid. <laughs> Oh, they all. Do. You can't lean it. If you're, gonna, if, if you're gonna make it, if you're gonna make it cross uh, road and water, yeah, you're 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 pretty much screwed on the road. Yeah, there's so many fairings on it that you can't even lean that damn bike. You'd scrape the fairings off and make a hole in your waterproof area. It looks. There's like- actually a Russian guy. He um he did the northern part of Russia, like really remote. And his one of his main p- parts of gear was a raft, and he has so many photos of him putting his bike into a raft and pushing it across rivers and shit. Oh, it's so cool. Nice. <laughs> but it'd be awesome if our bikes could just do that. Very nice. All right. Well, Bacon, you want to wrap it up with your last questions? Then we not have to go deep into the eight days a week. But any other questions on your tri- plan- trip planning, packing, staying, all that stuff? Honestly, uh, I think a lot of mine were answered with that. Um, and I think you have a lot of work honest, to do. Yeah, well, yeah. And we still have years of 
a few years of uh, planning. So, so in the meantime, is the number down to three go, bacon? But in the no, meantime, it's, it's you four go years. Vietnam. You should go to Vietnam and rent a bike and do a trip there. Because I don't know how you can plan out a trip for four years. Like, go out and do a trip now. It, it, the, the whole thing is, you know, uh, families, jobs. It's it's a lot. It's a lot for people who have those families, those jobs and everything that you're trying to pay for what you have as it is and take care of that. And, and I'd love to be able to sell off whatever I have and just go off and do whatever. But at the same time, um, my wife home, all that, you know, I like, a, I do like a home base. I, I've always kind of dreamed of like, Hey, yeah, it would be awesome to travel and do whatever and not have a home and just do whatever like you do. But not everybody's the same as well. But, but also, that's, I didn't say sell all your stuff and go on a trip. <laughs> I know people who do more miles than I do, and I do this for a living. Yeah. It's all about priorities. I mean, and I want people to realize that, yeah, you have kids and helms and, and bills, but there are a lot of two-week motorcycle trips that you can do that aren't very expensive. Or even four, even four days, Bacon. Like, just you know, go out and, and try to can- cover 400 miles a day for four days. See what that feels like. Well, let's look at it like this. Uh, my motorcycle has been down since July because I need to get a new stator and rotor and stuff like that. But we've had other bills to pay. So I've let my bike sit, you know. So, it's you know, that's another thing of me getting a newer bike that is at least hopefully more reliable, of course. You know. Well, I mean, you have a Harley, um, so I think just about everything's an upgrade. I'm fucking with well, you. I'm just talking whoa, about whoa, 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 Ouch. Hey, Rich, I think so. We, so, in Krav Maga, so I like I like combative fighting. So, in Krav Maga, we call that a groin shot, and that's what I just took. <laughs> well, let's just let's, let's just say this I do like, I mean, it's it's my Dyna, and I do beat on it a bit, you know, like I do a lot of hard starts and all that, you know, it's it's a fun bike, and I use it as a fun bike. Um, it's not a, I'm, I'm not one of those like, oh, I'm going to, it's going to take me about half a mile to get up to 50 miles an hour. Like I'm 50 miles an hour in about 50, 60, 70 feet. Ooh, know, a lot of Japanese one, bikes can do that for a hundred thousand miles without needing an engine rebuild. Well, well, it's, mine hasn't had an engine rebuild. Mine, mine's, mine, mine's everything else around it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's acceptable then. <laughs> you know, it's it's all the breakable. It's all the easily breakable stuff. Yeah, who who needs who needs a stator anyways? No, you just need no, a bigger but, battery. Yeah, it's fine. I actually I have a kickstart only bike, dude. I didn't even have a battery that worked for for forever, and I was just kickstarting it. <laughs> hey, hey, honestly, honestly, if I could find an old an old like iron head or or shovel head kickstart, that'd be an awesome just run it everywhere bike that makes just, my shins hurt have you ever had a kickstart only for your only bike no but you know what mm. i'd still be it, it'd still make it easy it's still make it easier than carrying a battery around and worrying about the battery it sucks like i i'm over here like i could go to the store but that means i have to kick my bike at least two or three times i, I don't think i need to go get that ice cream that bad fuck it is it but well, see, is that kickstart that is cheaper 50 yeah, it's it's Kickstart only. So I have less electronics. Um, I barely have enough to even run the headlight and charge my phone. But I can't run the headlight, charge my phone, and use my heated hand grips at the same time at all. <laughs> so, but 
and I can kick my 350 pretty easily, but they're bitches. I mean, kickstart anything is a bitch, and the bigger your your yeah. engine gets, the worse it's going to be. And especially those old bikes you're talking about, they're hard to kick, and they'll bite you the fuck back. Like you said, those, and, I, and my shin just started aching. Well, on this, <laughs> is there any compression release on that or anything like that, or just straight up? I have a compression release, but it's still a DR350 is a very long kick. And if you don't kick it, you got to, you can't kick it like a bitch. He needs you to kick it like you're a fucking (laughs) badass or he's going to be like, yeah, you're funny. I'm not going to start for you. (laughs) It's like, nah, nah, (laughs) you're not big enough to ride me. We argue in the morning. Yeah. I'm just like, can you be a good boy today? And he's like, no, I'm going to be a bitch. Oh man. Now I got to fucking beat up on you. You know, you know what? I think you just like the abuse. What's wrong with you? You're like a masochist. And that's our conversations. He's like, I heard you say you were just going out for ice cream, so you're going to have to work for it. Or, or you, however many times you need to kick your bike multiplies by however many people who are watching. <laughs> yes. It's a one kick that's bike all nice, the time. I like that metric. Five people are at the gas station are watching you, and it's going to take you at least six kicks. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to look stupid the whole time, and they're going to be like, what is this fucking person doing? And I'm a chick, so they're always like, oh, do you need help? Fuck uh, yourself. Uh, Let me see you kick this because it's not going to work. Well, what would be funny is if they is if you said that and they got it on that first kick after you primed it. <laughs> after I primed it, right? Yeah, you get it warmed up and everything, and then it just fires right off. I, I like to use my bike as a party trick. I'm like, oh, so yeah, you never done kickstart before? Here, get on my bike. I'll teach you. No, 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 you're not kicking it hard enough. No, you really got to push all the way through the half turn. This isn't a quarter turn bike. You have to do from top to bottom all the way through. No, mm. and I'll just sit there and watch him. Like, this is hilarious. <laughs> and then I get on there and start it. And they have a whole new level of appreciation for my technique. <laughs> and, it, and it's fairly tall too, right? So you got to start from a pretty high point. I actually have the kickstand <laughs> up and, um, yeah, that's how it works for me. Huh. It's not a bad bike. I just do the butt slide, you know, I go left or right whenever yeah. I need to Down deal with go. the bike. Yeah. But the, the, suspension compresses quite well so it's not bad it's not much taller or it doesn't i don't sit much higher on it than i did my honda because the seat's very narrow so it doesn't spread your legs out yeah and like i said once it's pretty soft softly sprung so it yeah it bounces a lot yeah there's so many sexual jokes here and none of you guys have been making it you guys have a family show or something (laughs) it is a family show yeah, it's, it's it's generally generally on the cleaner side, but we like like we talked in in the pre show. We'll just mark it; it's no big deal. I was just messing with you. <laughs> that's what you said. Yeah. If I was talking tr- about these other shows, they would have been a lot of like, "That's what she said." Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and oh, trust me, and trust me, I've had I've had I've had to be very tight lipped about it. <laughs> Rich will tell you. Yeah, and the Moto Nobodies Rich. they they have the the e tag on constantly, so. Oh, we need to talk about that, too, by the way. I'd like to get a little bit of inside information about your content. Back to this whole podcast article thing is like, these aren't rated. These are just a couple sentences on what the content's about, the host's name, when you started, how often your shows are, and what your style is, you know, whether it's just, we recorded it and uploaded it, we don't give a fuck, all the way up to, we edited the shit out of this, and you could put it on the radio. Yeah. John, you still awake? Uh huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. The voyeur. <laughs> now that you're done with your voyeuring thing, any uh, events we need to cover? Oh, we we always got events. Let's see. Rich is leaving here in a couple weeks. Good to go down to see his C8 at the Relics 24. Oh, uh, sexy. January 24th through 27th. The fifth annual Motorcycle Podcast Challenge, May 1st. 
through May 22nd. Oh, we got to talk to Z about that. That's a good one. Yeah. Spread the word. Let's see. Rich, you going to Isle of Man? Probably not. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm heading to Sturgis with a bunch of other people in uh, August of 2020. And then our loud pipes meet up in 2020. October 9th through the 12th in Telco Plains, Tennessee. Going to be fun. I, mean, I want to toss one in. Yeah. So there's Go an event it. coming up in, uh, it's on the, it starts on the 17th. It's called the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous. It's not just for motorcyclists. It's for anyone who has rubber underneath them and travels. So hikers, bicyclists, bikers, cars, RVs, rigs, whatever. Everyone's invited. It's a free event. It's in Quartzsite, Arizona. And uh, I'm hoping to be down there the last weekend of that event. So like the 23rd or the 27th. Okay. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm hoping to make a, a bigger biker community that starts going to that event. Because right now it's a lot of uh, RVers. But we can yeah. share a lot of cool, a, co- a lot of cool information because our, our worlds do cross over. If someone can RV there, we can camp there. Awesome. We will add that. Well, thank you, Johnny. I appreciate it. No problem. So notes of this show, of course, can be found on our website loudpipes.net slash 174. We have all sorts of links there to leave us feedback. Subscribe to the show with your favorite podcast app and links there to social media. If you found some value in the show, please consider supporting us at loudpipes.net slash donate. There's a place there to leave us a note and we'll read it on the show unless you tell us not to. All right, Z, once again, thank you for joining us. We appreciate all the tips and hopefully we'll be talking again in the future. Yeah, hopefully. It's been a lot of fun talking to you guys. And I'm very happy to have dirtied your show a little bit. <laughs> no problem. Just <laughs> don't, worry. don't worry. We like it, Filthy. We just don't like to air it. <laughs> <laughs> so one more time, just for, for completeness, what are, are the best websites and ways to reach you? So to reach me personally, and I'm always available to answer questions, talk on the phone, or anything that I can possibly help with is Z-E-E Traveler with one L on Facebook. I got ztraveler.com, uh, Z, Z Travelers page. So you can like my page or you can friend me on Facebook, and I suggest friending me. You can also find me through Bunkabiker on Facebook or facebook.com slash Bunkabiker, bunkabiker.org, or you can search in MMV or Minimalist Motorcycle Vagabonds, and you'll find a much larger variety of different styles of travel, and you can get lots of cool opinions on that group on Facebook as well. Very nice. And we'll have links to all that. All those uh, websites, we'll have all that in our show notes. Again, that's loudpipes.net slash 174. So, Johnny John, I guess it's time we will put our kickstands up. Yeah, man. All right. Brother Bacon? Well, I guess uh, vaya con Dios. All right. Thanks again, uh, Z. Good night. Good night. Consider supporting the show. Find more details at loudpipes.net forward slash donate.